I think it's time to go. What do you think, Will? Yeah, go on then. We'll crack into it. Uh, Bill, kick us off. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Eagle Space. This is powered by the Rugby Network in association with Eagles Overseas. This is the last show of the Repiage Set Go series. Pretty much a Repiage review and more. I said tonight we are covering some tough, tough topics, reviewing Repiage, or at least the draw against Portugal, and also talking about the current state of USA rugby. Again, tough topics to talk about, but very necessary. These these shows, I know they can't always be about the about only the victories and the good things. We got to talk about it all, and I think it's really important, especially with our guest tonight. I am Bill Baker of Eagles Overseas, and with me is my partner in crime in this Eagle Space series, and it's been a blast so far over this last four shows, and then tonight is USA Eagle Will Hooley. What's going on, Will? How are you? I'm all right, Bill, and this is always the time when I give an answer of, yeah, great, this is what happened in the week, got excited about this, got excited about that, but I'm not going to lie, I am naturally a little bit flat. We all know mm-hmm. why, obviously, from, from Friday. Bill, we spoke quite a bit. Obviously, on the Sunday, I turned my phone off on Friday. Um, everyone has their own individual stories. Uh, it's not about me as such, but I really wasn't going to do tonight. Really didn't feel like it. Didn't think it would be correct. And then it's only when we spoke on the, I think it was the Sunday, wasn't it, that it just felt, well, we want to respect the fans and finish this project that we had set out and doing with the Rugby Network and Rugby Pass. Then it would only be right that we do finish and we do review what's happened and how we can be better going forward, going forward into hopefully a prosperous looking future. And we've got some brilliant people. I'm so thrilled to have these people pick up their phones and say yes and then join us on the Eagle Space today. I, I suppose before we do kick it off, Bill, I, I just want everyone just just show each other respect. I know there's some people live. You're already getting a good audience now. I know people will listen back to this as a recording, as a podcast. Uh, as I said earlier, everyone has their own individual stories, has their own individual disappointments. I have mine. I'm not going to massively go into that tonight. It's not about me. It's a massive shame what happened on Friday. It's a real shock. And every player in North America will undoubtedly have a feeling of sort of not knowing what the future holds, especially those guys as current Eagles or who are currently within the setup. So just bear that in mind. I think, look, we're, we're all human here and mistakes were made and hindsight now is, is this wonderful thing we have, right? And yeah, it hurts, massively hurts. And those guys are playing on Friday. Jeez, like we could have brought maybe a couple of the boys on tonight. I just didn't feel that'd be right. That's to kind of show respect to them. They've only just finished in, in Dubai. They need to be home with their families and, and equally sort of having their own time to kind of switch off. So I just wanted to sort of open that up, Bill, and just sort of say that to everyone listening. And when you do ask questions, just bear that in mind. Because at the end of the day, we're all on here wanting the best for USA Rugby. It's a hard, dark time at the moment. Good moments, good times will come. Yeah, and with that said, Will, uh, listeners, fans out there, just technically speaking with this show, with this thing with Twitter Space, if you're not familiar with it, uh, we do this for you guys, for the fans, to give you a chance to engage with guys like Will, our guest tonight, other guests over the past, other other shows as well. And it's important. I think it's a great avenue, great venue, that if you, whatever you want to call it, for fans and people like us, the journalists and uh, big super fans, which I know there's a number of us out there. So, again, we'd love to have you get involved in the show, uh, not just by listening, but to ask questions or two. You can do that by requesting at the bottom of your screen, the left-hand side. Uh, once you do that, we will get you up here as soon as possible. But please remember, 
like Will said, let's try to be uh, be good with your questions. Be nice and sweet. Short questions and sweet. We have a lot to talk about tonight. Again, the whole point of this show is to engage you, uh, the fans. Well, look, everything's been said on the technical grounds. Well, let's just finish it off. And when I talk about technical grounds, we let's just go over Friday. It was obviously everyone on here will know. And if you don't know, the USA had a 16-all draw with Portugal, which meant that Portugal went through to the World Cup and will be going to play at the World Cup next year in France as a result of points difference at the Repercharge tournament in Dubai that was played and finished on Friday. I'll be honest, Bill, I haven't watched it back. I didn't want to, and it's just kind of trying to move on. But we will very, very briefly, in literally like a couple of minutes, because I want to get straight in with our guests tonight. Let's just quickly go over it before we introduce the journalists who kindly come on tonight. I wrote a couple of points in terms of the areas where ultimately maybe we can look at it and say we lost a game of rugby. Discipline, of course. I know the referee made some interesting decisions, particularly early doors. I, I don't want to go into that, but I think we know what I'm talking about. We had a yellow card early stages of the game that certainly affected us. Do I think it was the right decision? No. But at the same time, do I believe that was a decision which ended up making Portugal win the game? Also, no. Accuracy in a set piece was not where it was throughout the campaign and probably where it wanted to be. You look at the the malls that were set up. And, and the thing which obviously was frustrating watching was the setups looked so good. Yet at the same time, was that last bit of connection between the transfer of the ball from, from either Greg Peterson or Cam, whoever it was, to get the ball going, to get the mall going, I should say. Right. Did we win the set-piece battle overall? No, we probably didn't. We talked about that early on in the, in the last week about what we would need to do to, to really outmuscle this Portugal side. Their back three kept us on our toes, and it's going viral. That that whole Gudez, the number fifteen, the fullback for Portugal, his skill, yeah, good player, good feet, um, helped set up their try. Obviously, we were a player down, which didn't help, but it was good work from the Portuguese. They had their threats out wide. We can maybe talk about the fact: should this repertoire be decided on a draw? In my opinion, it doesn't matter. I don't think you can really look at that and say, "Oh, it's outrageous." It should be going to extra time. I know some people have their views on that, but Portugal overall, they deserved it in the end. I, I believe that. But I honestly got to say, the lads put in everything. And they put in everything, not in that eight, just that 18 minutes, but over the last couple of months. A lot of people now come out and say, well, that everything is good enough. But just remember, like a lot of sacrifices were made. It's a massive shame. We lost that game. And I don't know if you want to chime in a little bit here, Bill, before we do get on to the journalists and get really into it. But that was my take. Yeah, is a sad day for for USA rugby. Yeah, I mean, you you said it well, Will. I, I, I'll just add a couple of things to that. Um, I don't think I can add too much after what you just said there because it was perfect. Um, just a few things that caught my mind is, like you said, you know, the draw, the, the tie, whatever would have mattered. Eighty minutes of us, I think, playing like we did in the first thirty against Kenya it was just undisciplined. Uh, you know, we didn't have our best kicking game. Uh, you know, the, the discipline part was driving me crazy. You know, three tackles called off the ball, simple things like that. Ball handling issues, just it just some things just didn't, didn't make sense. Portugal capitalized on the, that early yellow against us. We didn't quite do so um, with our yellows and our advantage. It just we just didn't do. It. We started off well, got in the board first, which is I, ideal, but then it just went downhill from there. So I watched it. I felt horrible as any fan or anyone watching that game, and I feel horrible as far as the players goes because you just know how hard everyone works for that and get to that level. 
and and how it looks on USA Rugby after that match. So that's all I have to add from that match. Will tough, tough to watch, tough to see the boys not not pulled out. Yeah, absolutely, Bill. Um, look, enough of us because let's get on to the real reason of why yeah. I brought <laughs> we brought six people on tonight and six top quality journalists in their own right here in the United States and also Canada, uh, and even one of them is even tuning in from the UK. Um, I'm very impressed. It's what ten past two in the morning for that for that individual. But a, a, a quick introduction to the guys that we've got. We've got Matt McCarthy, who everyone, I'm sure, in the rugby sphere here in North America will know, Mr. Rugby Wrap-Up himself. We've got Brian Ray, who's based himself in Halifax, Nova Scotia. He's top America's rugby news writer and reporter. Then, of course, the infamous Alex Goff, the Goff Report, 20 years of experience, over 20 years of experience reporting on rugby here in the United States. We have Joe Harvey, who is awake with us coffee in hand he's coming over speaking from the uk freelance journalist special speciality i should say in major league rugby top quality young journalist writes incredibly well um brilliant article he wrote actually today that came out on the rugby network we'll get on to that and then james dealey who's based in canada as well um so uh <laughs> it's we, we, we sorry i should say major league rugby stat specialist as well so Look, I'm joined by some top men, and I'm going to go straight into it. And the infamous, the famous Matt McCarthy, who I hope can hear me and hope can speak. And I'm going to just come to you straight away, Matt, and just give the floor to you. The disappointment of Friday, the reaction, we haven't qualified. What were your overall thoughts of that game and the experience you might have been going through emotionally over the last few days since that fatal day? Because I do want to quote you. On the piece that you wrote re- recently, you said USA has let its fan base down. What do you mean by that? And where are your thoughts at the moment? Well, first of all, can you hear me? Absolutely loud and clear. Okay. That, some people might say that's not necessarily a good thing, but we'll continue anyway. And thank you for having me on. Uh, I wish we had better things to talk about. <laughs> you, don't, you don't say. Yeah, go on then. Keep going. All right. So... <sighs> The understatement of the century is that this was brutally bad, right? You've got tempers flaring. There are questions after question being asked. Everybody seems to have a fix, especially here on social media. Uh, We're all in that fog of war where our, our opinions are going off in different directions and maybe not based on fact. Um, but ultimately, this, a lot of people are calling for heads to roll. And whose heads or what head rolls is a topic that we can talk about for days, right? But instead of that, let's just start to ask ourselves, what, what, what got us here? How have we fallen from beating Georgia in Georgia and Scotland in Houston and a ranking of 12 to a ranking of 20, right? I mean, that. That's pretty significant recent history. And and before getting to the loss versus Portugal, we had two other very viable options. Beat Uruguay or beat Chile. And when those opportunities inexplicably, inexplicably escaped us, we had the repechage opportunity with Kenya, Hong Kong, and Portugal. But to coin a baseball analogy for you American sports fans out there, three strikes and you're out, babe. And we didn't do it. 
we didn't get the ball over the line. But fans of USA Rugby, a lot of us, generations of us, will call this Groundhog Day when it comes to failures of USA Rugby. And I hate to say, I, the last thing I want to do, I'm a, I'm a half-full guy. The last thing I want to do is start throwing rocks or, or kicking a dog when it's down. But, you know, as John Adams, our second president, said, facts are stubborn things. And here are some facts. The current administration has a, a dubious record, to say the least. Two bankruptcies, zero leadership on a ridiculously splintered college landscape, which could be breeding eagles and the failed mission to just qualify for Rugby World Cup 2023. And you can't cry COVID because everybody on the planet has gone through COVID, specifically the two-tier nations that we are trying to beat out to make a World Cup. And I'm sorry, but the coach alone can't be the scapegoat here because things will just continue as they are if that's the case. How's that for an opening? (sighs) Well, it's a great opening, but it it just makes me sad and the realization that I, I guess there's a lot of things whereby people will be hearing your voice there and just be nodding. Matt, what, but what is there a singular thing? If it, all, all those what you just said, and I understand it about the fail, failings of what's happened. I do. I, I've played in this, in those failings. Ultimately, we will come on to what needs to happen next. But is there is there one thing in particular that really sort of stands out as your thing that was really grinded your gears? Oof. No, it was a death by a thousand cuts, right? And, and and basically, let's before we continue, this was all your fault. Right? <laughs> just God. just want to just for the record, Will. I mean, if I mean, you could just hear people. Why I'm just walking down the street just minutes ago with Steve Lewis and all the people in New York City are walking around saying, "Will, oh, that Will Hooley, oh yeah." Well, that's that, that's why I'm on the West Coast, to be honest, Matt. Like, I'm so <laughs> far away from that concrete jungle and the cold. Or, or are you on the West Coast because you grew up with rain, cold rain blowing sideways most of your lifetime, and now you're just trying to even it out? Uh, I, I, I guess, I guess you're right. But, but look, it's 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 you, we joke on that front. But like, as someone who has come over here and and, and plays the national team and is playing the MLR, like. We just want to see USA Rugby do well. We all do, whether we're playing, whether we're reporting on it, whether we're a fan as well. And I suppose that's what I mean. Like, you know, I'm going to bring in um, Brian Ray as well because he's going to speak a little bit about um, about North American rugby because it's been a failing across the whole of North America. I mean, Matt, it, it, there's no North American representative at this next World Cup. I mean, it's an utter travesty, isn't it? Well... As, as Brian, you brought up Brian Ray, and Brian Ray is an astute um, rugby brain, and he has got—he's like a rain man. He knows he's got a lot of stuff, and he—he he had, he had put out uh, the other day, and I'm going to paraphr- paraphrase the amount of matches that Team USA has had in the last three years or two years, as opposed to what got them to being ranked 12th. And beating Scotland, and I, and everybody out there that can say, "Oh, well, that was Scotland's B team," it does. You know, that's horse hockey. You had Stuart Hogg as the captain of that team. You had a very solid Scotland team out there that wanted to win the game. They didn't come here to oh, lose. I, I, t- I tell you, I, I remember it very well. It's ultimately one of the best best nights of 
my my rugby career. Absolutely. You know, and, 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 back, and back then, Matt, like everything felt very good. Felt very good. You know, we, we were talking about, you know, new arrangements with partners of uh, Fly Emirates or whatever it might be. You know, so it's an utter frustration. I, I, I know I know where you're coming from. And Matt, I want to come back to you, but I, I believe we've got Brian through a bill, as I, I believe is going to allow to speak. Because Brian Ray, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I hope you can hear me nice and clear. On a North American perspective, you're also very heavily involved with... Uh, with the Canadian setup, I just want to hear your thoughts about the failings of North American rugby, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, you know, again, thanks for, for having me on. I, I don't really disagree with anything that, that Matt just said. Um, I, I think there's some things you have to kind of take into perspective here. One of them is simply that other teams have gotten better. And it's no longer a gimme for anybody outside of the top 10 to, to qualify anymore. I mean, we've just seen Chile make enormous leaps in, in, in quality. We've seen Uruguay over the past eight, 10 years make enormous leaps. Portugal is, has made ground. Uh, you know, other teams are just getting better, and we can't take uh, your, your position for granted anymore. Uh, I think, you know, Matt's right in that everybody had to deal with the pandemic. I think it hit North America particularly hard, and that's, uh, kind of has to do with the, the the limited resources available to Canada and the USA, where they're both both unions are broke effectively. They got no money, so there was no real replacement for the loss of all those tests. Uh, losing the America's Rugby Championship was, in my view, enormously terrible for both teams. I mean, even if you think about it this way, even if we just had this year the the 2022 ARC. And it was played when it was intended to, which would have been uh, August, September, basically leading into the repechage. That's five games and, you know, six plus weeks of training that the United States would have had to, to the Eagles would have had to build into this repechage. So that, that would have made a huge difference uh, for the team. So I, I think losing the ARC in basically for political reasons and not getting any kind of replacement, which is on both the unions and World Rugby, uh, was a terrible, terrible blow because there just wasn't any competitive games for the two teams. And, you know, and I think at the same time, I don't think you can give the coaching staffs of either team a free pass. I think both teams underperformed. Um, you can look at, you know, technical mistakes from the players, whatever. Uh, but did they get their selection right? Did they get their game plan right? I, I, I don't think they did at the end of the day. And I think they have to take some of the, uh, you know, they, they have to take that on the chain a little bit as well. So, it, uh, you know, it is. It's a lot of different things going on here uh, that have contributed to to this recent demise and uh, or kind of slide of the two teams. And you know, and there's so much, so many of the broader things from a from a national point. You know, development, long term development, and and just uh, for me, a big one is is moving forward. We'll be trying to get out of under the the you know the ownership basically of world rugby and standing on our own two feet. And that's something to be. Uh, to work on getting out of this. But in the short term, I would break it down to other teams have gotten better. Uh, Canada, USA's resources and preparation wasn't good enough, and the teams underperformed. It would be my, my three things of, of why they didn't come through this qualification cycle. And, uh, and fans, listeners, uh, again, thanks for joining in. We'd love to have you guys ask questions. Uh, request the bottom left, and we'll get you up here as soon as possible. We have lots of guests that can answer these questions better than me, and possibly will too, but I think Will would be a great person to answer your questions. But Staying with you, Brian, um, kind of let's look forward a little bit. You know, is there, uh, I don't know, a shining lining here? Is there good that can come out 
of where we are right now. You know, no money obviously doesn't help. You know, is this a really good chance maybe for us to you know, press reset and rebuild? Yeah, I, I 100% think so. I think that this has to be the opportunity to, to do that, to, to take a step back. And the, the, the thing I, the last thing I want to see is some review and, you know, eight to 12 months down the line, start to make some kind of, throw, forget all of that. You don't you have to look back and figure out what we, what we got wrong. Sit down at the table, figure out what you want, your ideal structure of what you want to see between now and whenever, I guess we'll set 2031 as the target because that's when the World Cup is coming to mm-hmm. North America. And, and, you know, Canada is very much going to be involved in that, whether they host games or not. It's on their doorstep, right? So I, I think both countries have to sit down. They have to write down on a whatever, sit, brainstorm with, with their stakeholders, figure out where they want to where, where be, get some, you know, get connections in the, in the different competitions pathways. That's from, from the, the bottom, from the schools. You've got to get rugby in the schools. You know, Alex Mag would be tweeting the other day. I love that with 528 elementary school kids picked up a rugby ball for the first time in greater Boston, which is fantastic. More of that. Um, but, hey, you've got to get rugby in, in the United States. You've got to get it in every high school. If, if a high school doesn't have rugby at this stage, that's a problem. You've got to get that in there. Canada, I think, is doing a little bit better job at that. So you've got to get rugby in the schools. You've got to get a connection with the schools to the clubs. You've got to get the connection from the clubs to the colleges, to the, the university, the schools team. And then you've got to get the connection to the professional level, which it, in North America is Major League Rugby. So once you get all of that, that connected and you get everybody on the same page, then I think you've got a real chance of, of, of making dramatic improvements between now and, uh, and 2031. So yeah, for me, this is a huge opportunity if we take it and we don't piss around and, and waste our time on a whole bunch of useless reviews that will show nothing that we really need to know. And Matt, coming back to you, we, we mentioned, or you mentioned South America, uh, those nations doing so well. You know, uh, in, in your opinion, there, why or how did they do so? How, how did they get it right? Okay, so this isn't, it, it, it might not be the answer that you're going to you think it was coming, but when Gus Pichot, lost the um, campaign against Bill Beaumont to be the chairman of the board of World Rugby because of maybe some backroom deals and, and, and votes that people reneged on, and he lost a very close vote. He went back to South America and said, screw this. I'm going to build up South American rugby as best I can, including Brazil, Chile, Uruguay, and Argentina. And you can see the amount of matches that they played with SLAR, South American version of of the MLR, and competitions against the Pumas 15 or or Argentine 15 going and playing Uruguay over and over again and Chile over and over again and Brazil and all these nations playing each other and then picking it up and really pulling – south american rugby to where it is right now that's a lot a lot of it has to do with gus pichot losing that election and and my mind works to wow what if he hadn't lost that election how much better would global rugby be right now or what track would it be on right now but that's a hypothetical we're in a reality right now and and what you all just had to do and brian can back this up and so some some of these other guys on here um, the amount of times that the Chilean team played together with what that uh, Super League team called Spel- Spellman or I, I, I'm getting Selkman, 
Silkman. Yeah. It was like 31 times that that their their roster of the match day 23 is 19 guys from that one team playing over and over again. And I'm not saying that in the MLR you have to have a team of Eagles. I'm not saying that. I'm not and I'm and I'm not necessarily saying that Toronto should have a team of Team Canada guys on the roster. But what you're getting is those guys playing a lot together. So you have to counteract that because, as Brian said, teams are getting better. They're finding out how to improve despite limited resources. We are not. We are not improving. We're going backwards. And a lot of it has to do with the the limited amount of time that this particular group of Eagles had to get together. Yeah, COVID was one excuse, but administrative failures, big time, were the other ones. So there's a significant amount of playing time lost by this core group of Eagles or the Eagles in camp together over the last two, three years. Some of it was due to COVID, but a lot of it was due to administrative stuff. And I hate saying that. Well, I appreciate that, Matt. So at this point, I think we could go to our first listener, first fan, uh, Ryan Kirby. Good to see you up here. Hey, good to see you guys. Um, Hey, so question, open question for anybody. Um, So I know we're talking about the repechage. And I know there's rumors surrounded that Eddie Jones is going to be the next potential USA Eagles coach. Um, I kind of want to get someone's thoughts on that because I think we could get someone local, like in-house talent for a cheaper price. I feel like with World Rugby throwing all this kind of money at this, um, couldn't we use this for building developmental programs and can't, like... I guess I'm just trying to ask, like, what can be done to make us more, I guess, relevant? Because right now, you know, we got we're getting laughed at because we lost against Portugal, Chile. I mean, we got to do something. So I appreciate it, guys. Hey, appreciate that, Ryan. I do. We we absolutely appreciate your question. I, I want to come to Brian Ray. If that's all right, in terms of answering that, we had a brief conversation about how maybe a, a head coach role could, whether it is a a USA person, or whether it is still a foreigner, whatever it might be. Brian, if, if you're still with us, I can see that you, you mic's off, but coming on now. What do, what do you think in terms of what's, be, what's best? Who's the best? What is this sort of best thing for a coaching role of, of coming into the Eagles? Who should it be? Yeah, I, I had a good laugh when I heard that question, Ryan, because I heard that one a little bit ago. Um, yeah, first of all, who knows if Eddie Jones is actually going to take that. I think that's a little bit of a stretch from the Sydney Morning Herald or whoever posted that. We've also heard Warren Gatlin mention, right? They're going to pull out all these names. Uh, at the end of the day, um, I think for me, I'd like ideally somebody who's who has uh, kind of an idea about the American, who's uh, the American rugby scene, not necessarily somebody who's from the United States, but just somebody who's familiar uh, with it. Maybe they've coached an MLR, whatever. But the most important thing for me is they've got to be based in the United States. Whoever coach it is, you know, they've got to come here and they've got to live here. And that it, during the MLR season, they've got to be at a game, at least one game in person, if not two, every weekend. They've got to be attending. They've got to be visible. They've got to be out going around the country and and and, and working with other coaches and getting other coaches better every, all the time, full time during the year. That to me is the number one thing uh, when we're talking about who's going to come. And I totally agree with you in that. You know, spending big wads of money on some coach is not going to turn the Eagles around. This is a thing they've got to got to get clarity of vision here on what's the actual role of USA Rugby, what's the actual role of Rugby Canada, you know, and and 
and put some resources behind that because the, the teams are going to get better when the players get better, when the, the player pool gets better as a whole. Um, that's the ultimate long-term uh, you know, goal here. So I agree with you. We don't need to be spending wads of money on some you know, special coach. Although, you know, who's going to complain if a Dave Rennie or somebody comes in and coaches whatever? But but they they've got to they've got to fit into the ecosystem of American rugby, and they've got to buy into it fully. They can't be just here for a few weeks uh, training camp ahead of tests. Can I poke in here? Yeah, go for it. Absolutely, Matt. Okay, the Eddie Jones to the USA thing. It's got my head spinning around. If 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 the loss itself and watching that drop goal clank off the crossbar and then the penalty kick tying it and us losing on a tie or not being able to play overtime or extra time, if that didn't make my head spin enough already, Eddie Jones to the USA, it, 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 this is absolutely ridiculous. It's like Phil Jackson being brought in to run the New York Knicks. How did that go? What What – what we don't grasp here for a lot of folks overseas that think they have the answers for America is the sheer geographical mass of this country. Eddie Jones has successfully worked in Japan, Australia, and England. Okay, let's look at that. Japan, small country, easy to get around. You can be anywhere in two hours and tops. First class train tickets. England, same thing. Australia. You've got three cities on one coast and then two on the other coast. So at worst, you're going to five cities. Then you try to bring that model. Everybody says, well, in England, we did it this way. In New Zealand, we did it this way. None of that works here. The U.S. and Canada are entirely different animals, and those models don't apply. Is Eddie Jones going to move over here and live here full time and go from city to city in Major League Rugby games? He's going to be flying all the time, and that's the only way that can work. We need, as Ryan Kirby, I believe, brought up, tap into something here. Let's not continue to allow world rugby to have their hooks in us, because how's that going so far? Uh, it's, it's, it's great points you make. Great points you make, Matt. And I think that you've almost brilliantly going to introduce my next journalist who's going to come on, because he was sat at Twickenham for that England-New Zealand game. He sat probably very close to Eddie Jones in the journalist box is none other than Joe Harvey, who is based in the UK and, and can make, I'm sure, an added comment about that and what Matt has just said about the changes. I don't know what you see, Joe, in terms of coaching, in terms of governance. It's hard, very hard to make comics. I would just like to say like, I have the utmost respect for Gary Gold. I, you cannot just put the blame on him. I will just add add uh, my, my two, two cents there. But yeah, Joe, welcome on, my man. And um, what's your take on all of this? Well, I'm going to say morning, Will, because it is. Um, <laughs> cheers, cheers for the message. Um, luckily, I've already had more sleep than I usually would do on a Wednesday night, or Tuesday night, it was Wednesday morning now. No, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're talking about things that ultimately we're actually going to have no say over. So it's kind of like, yeah, how do you actually kind of quantify talking about these sorts of changes when ultimately we are not the decision makers and they're not going to happen? But the, the issue that I've consistently come across, not the issue, but the theme that I've consistently come across when it comes to North American rugby is that sometimes the people that have the best ideals are not always the people in the building. And that's sort of something that's quite interesting to me as someone who has come in from the outside. I mean, I've got this sort of an accent, similar to yours, similar to yours, Will. And, and we're sort of, you know, we, we've seen how rugby's run elsewhere. 
and it's it's a challenge to try and work out exactly what happened. I mean, it's interesting, and obviously Matt there talked about how things are going with World Rugby. Well, World Rugby were the people that helped secure the visas for John Plumtree and Mario Ledesma, and the idea with that was to help the US qualify for the World Cup, right? And whether or not you know things were happened long enough in advance and all those sorts of things, I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, visas are always kind of a, a tricky one. I think the whole Eddie Jones thing kind of did come from nowhere. I mean, I think I'm seeing him on Thursday. So maybe it's worth asking the question then about what happened there. But obviously, he also has previously shown an interest in MLR because he was announced as a consultant by San Diego Legion a couple of years ago. Whether or not any of that actually happened, I'm, I'm not totally sure because he got um, he basically got roasted in the press a few times and now he does not take on consultancy work. So... I don't think anyone saw him at the Legion, Joe. Sorry to jump in there. Unless, no. it, was a, unless it was maybe for some British Air, Airways miles, <laughs> just to add on. I don't think he was anywhere near the Legion camp from what I heard from the boys last year. No, so this is what I mean. So he's he's gone through the absolute ringer when it comes to these sorts of consultancy announcements. So no one actually knows if, uh, this is what I mean, I don't know if he actually ever got on a flight. And the likelihood is that he probably didn't, unless he was on phone calls with coaches every now and then for like coaching development. don't know. Like, this is what I mean. It would be, in my opinion, a very interesting announcement. Obviously, one of the lines that's consistently come about, Eddie, is that is he going to be in charge of, you know, help, help him find his replacement? So would, would a coach like him or Warren Gatlin come in, find a US kind of national coach or someone locally and then try and nurture them post-2027 or something like that? I don't know. It's, it's sort of like one of those things, but it has to be someone that understands the landscape, as my, Matt so rightly points out, because... It is a unique, it is a unique landscape in that, well, what's the, what's the line? That every state's like a little country, you know, and all those sorts of things. It's so difficult to quantify exactly what is the right answer, but you need to have that understanding from the top all the way to the very bottom when you're getting, you know, kids who are, what, five years old trying to pick up rubber ball. And, and this is the, it, it's, it's a structure thing and it's, it's all got to become this one coherent ecosystem. So, Joe, first of all, uh, good morning from Boston. Um, <laughs> I, I bring that up because um, we have Will on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast, and, of course, you're in the U.K. And we have a listener coming in with a question right now from Australia, uh, John Corbett. So we're covering almost every corner of this globe tonight. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, look, I'll just call out up front. I am Australian, so I am used to rugby disappointment. And if any of you have been watching a certain other sporting event uh, going on at the moment, I'm used to disappointment in that too. So, uh, yeah, look, I do have a lot of empathy for what you guys are going through. Just firstly, I just want to call out uh, all the journalists. I love your work. I didn't realise, I actually already follow all of you on Twitter. So well done to all of you. I know that you're covering a few territories there. I just wanted to call out a couple of, I guess, silver linings uh, that I noticed out of last week and see how we go. Uh, with with what what your your thoughts are on that, the first one is as much as it must hurt, I do genuinely believe Portugal will acquit themselves very well at next year's tournament. I think they'll acquit themselves better than teams like uh, Namibia and Chile, and that's a little bit to do with the way the pools have have formed. But I think it's important that they do put a good showing because that, in my opinion, gets us closer, draws more attention to the to the peripheral countries that are, are, are trying to make a case that we should have things like a global calendar and a, a nation's tournament. And whether or not the USA would have done better than Portugal, we won't know. But I think it helps that they're there and they will hopefully play well. Um, I agree with Matt McCarthy 1,000% about his point about the Peugeot-Beaumont elections. I've thought that for 
two and a half years, and I always wondered what opportunity was missed there. But for mine, the global calendar, the sooner we can get that happening, the better. And I really think that will be when America's fortunes turn because it will enable you guys to have better uh, synergies, I guess, between the league and the objectives of the uh, the MLR and the, the uh, National Federation as well because it will give clear air for those three, six weeks at a time every year that the national team can prepare and the rest of the year the players belong to the clubs. I just wanted to get your uh, your thoughts on all of that. Uh, well, I, let, I want to get Matt McCarthy up again, actually. What, Matt, are you still there with us? What do you think? Uh-huh. Of yeah, you got, you got, we got to get the global calendar in order. I mean, that's, it's got to happen. And it's a pretty, it's a, it's a, as decisive, it's as divisive a topic as there is in rugby these days. So I'm one of those proponents that says, okay, hey, we got to get this thing going. And then, you know, Somebody in the, in the on the next block will say, "What are you out of your mind?" I'm exaggerating. There's nobody on the next block arguing with me about this. It's just me in my head. But uh, you know, the global calendar has to happen, and you know, and it also has to happen here in the United States in our college game. But that's a whole different other thing. I'm not going to open that can of worms right now. So listen, let's let's go to our next listener here, and we have I have another question also for and it really has to do with since Brian's here as well, and I think our friends at Scrum of the Earth are ready to ask the next question. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for having me again. It's so great. Um, I'm already, it, it's odd. I'm feeling much more optimistic right now, and it's not because anyone's had anything positive to say. It's because this particular show is like seven times as many people as I knew cared about USA Rugby, so that's <laughs> good. Um, so a, a year from now, we're going to be sitting on our butts doing nothing, as, as is Canada. Can we get something together with them? Can we get a tournament going on? We're talking about how we're missing time playing together um there's you know we're missing these big tournaments these chances to play against high competition we need to do something about that um is anyone on the panel right now able to give me a piece of optimism about you know does usa rugby have a plan what are we going to do about this thank you who wants to take that one Matt? well i i would say that one of the one <laughs> I'm I'm look I'm I'm a half glass I'm a glass half full person again I'm going to say that again so I and I feel like I'm coming out as Debbie Downer on this 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 chat but it was kind of disappointing for me to see um, anything but a response that said we are very disappointed by this loss um, we were looking internally to see how we're going to fix this problem please give us some time. You know, none of that has come out. This is now Tuesday after the Friday disaster, but it was the Friday disaster that has been in the works for a while that has now eliminated us from World Cup competition. So it's, again, you know, the leadership from the executive offices is not there right now to say anything about a plan. Instead, it was left on the media manager to try to come up with some kind of positive spin um, on social media. There, where, where is the face of the organization right now of USA Rugby saying, OK, this is a disaster. This is what we're going to do. We've got crickets right now. That's unacceptable. Brian, what's your take on that? Uh, yeah, uh, here's my idea. If I was running the show. If I was running Rugby Canada and USA Rugby at the same time, what a job that would be. I would send both teams to France next fall during the World Cup. I would play 
Spain, pick another country that hasn't qualified, uh, Belgium or Netherlands. And then I would make a North American Barbarians team and play the French Barbarians somewhere in Paris during the World Cup. So we get at least some exposure to the tournament. Fans can remember that North American rugby still exists and it can get some kind of a positive out of this. That's what I would do if I was running those two countries. Brian Ray for president. <laughs> uh, Brian and Matt, no, there's, there's some very interesting points there. I, I feel like I want to move the conversation on a little bit. And I, and I, unfortunately, I'm sorry to say to everyone that Alex Goff is having some technical problems getting on as a speaker, which I'm gutted about because he honestly would be the perfect man to talk about this next topic. I want to get the panel to make their opinions and judgments on. So I'm going to come straight to Fitzy, John Fitzgerald at Rugby Morning. The collegiate system and the pathway. Patrick. We talked about things which potentially uh, can be better, governance, coaching, whatever it might be. Fitzy, is the college game working? Is it actually producing the talent that we need? Is is the, is the pathway correct to the age grades and the grassroots of really, you know, I did speak to Alex Goff today. He mentioned how the under-20 team recently did a fantastic job in tour, on tour. They, they, they battered everyone. You know, how well are we looking at that age group to be the next, the next best thing. Fitzy, I want to come to you first and then unbelievably on the buzzer, we've got <laughs> Alex Goff. Alex Goff has come back with Fitzy. Go on, quickly give it from your end because Alex has got a very good answer, I know, as well. I'm going to punt this right to Alex. If there's anyone who can make sense of the fractured college rugby scene in the US, it's Alex Goff. So I'm going to kick it right back over to Alex. Wow. Quick to the... <laughs> well, I'm such a moron that I can't even make uh, Twitter space work, but... Um... Uh, I, I managed to do it. You guys hear me okay? Loud and okay, clear. Awesome. All, right. All right. So, Go away. so uh, yeah, a couple of things. Um, Matt, you talked about, uh, you know, everyone talked about this group staying together. Well, this group should, I mean, we should be having people stay together from 18, 19, 20 years old. And we hear all these great stories about, wow, you know, even this Portugal side, but the Italian side uh, as well. You know, these These were teams that were, and the, the French that as well, they they were they were lighting it up as under twenties, and it's that core group that were nurtured and brought along. We don't do that. We haven't been doing that for years. Uh, we talk about money and time together. I say put as many resources as possible into the the group that's going to play in the twenty thirty one World Cup, and that's the group that's fifteen to twenty one right now. That doesn't address the the college thing is a is 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 a little bit of a mess. But my problem with the college thing is also my problem with Major League Rugby is that we are skewing foreign, and we are skewing foreign in a number of very specific positions. So it's very difficult to find uh, a top collegiate program which has an American with a number ten on his jersey. I think we need to find those guys. We need to nurture them. We need to encourage those kids to to play that position and be developed in that position. We can't stop colleges from uh, bringing student athletes from overseas. It's it happens in every sport. That's okay, so, fine. So, but so you know. Alex, look, I appreciate I appreciate that. And uh, whatever you've got to go in the background, then uh, hopefully it's it's exciting. Um, <laughs> I, I just wanted to. 
I just wanted to make a comment. He's bagging groceries. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pa- I'm pacing in my uh, office trying to find the right spot to stand. So. Right. Well, well, if you are pacing, knock the mic off. Okay. I just want to say, just, just in terms of from my side of things, from a background where I turned professional at the age of 18, came out of school, and I was literally straight into it, straight into the professional world. My, my concern, I suppose is that the college athletes coming out at 22, 23, I've seen a couple of college athletes recently, obviously with San Diego Legion, and they're, they're, they're talented, but they need time, not only in the saddle, but they need time in the gym, they need time in the, in the computer room to understand the tactics of the game, whatever it might be. And at 22, 23 years old, it, it, it's getting late. They need then another three, four years. It, it's one of my things in the US where everyone goes to college and that's the way how sport works, but it doesn't necessarily i think work with rugby can we can we get to a point where colleges can work with the professional teams in the mlr i want to come to the mlr later in the show and joe harvey's going to speak on, i know brilliantly about that but can we look at any other way that increases those talent that is in the colleges but doesn't mean that they're not playing high standards of rugby well, waiting yeah. until the age of 22, 23. Go for it. Yeah, no, I, 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 no, you're absolutely right. Uh, you, I, and I found my spot, so I'm not moving anywhere. Um, you, the, there's an amateur uh, issue that can complicate that. But yes, I think you can find a way to increase the level of competition and leverage professionalism to increase the preparation time and 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 the high performance preparation for certain collegiate players and again college rugby you know that they're they're having kids stay an extra year and and covid gave a lot of people an extra year um so we are seeing them come in 23 24 25 when really the idea is 2021 they should be um taken and brought in and they did that with bryce campbell he was in indiana indiana is a a a club program a good one but they took him out of there and put him in the usa selects and had him play in south america you can do that but once again usa rugby and hey i'm i'm for it let's let's fire ross young let's fire dan Payne. let's fire gary gold let's fire a bunch of people i'm i'm for that personally but because all of those people have spent too much time actually worrying about playing Portugal when really they should have been worrying about who are the, like five, six, seven, ten years ago, who are the people who are going to be playing Portugal? And you could have done that, including with um, collegiate players. Well, you're absolutely right. There are places where colleges fall down on that. Not all of them. Some of them do a great job. Uh, but we could take those players and say, let's concentrate on developing that stuff. World rugby can saunter in and pay for a bunch of stuff that the senior national team does, and then they'll give up on it and do something else. But we can work on that stuff. Sorry, I just want to creep in. I'm going to say something really honestly as well. We we had a great discussion today. I'm sorry, but at the college level, it's not good enough. Fair enough. There is no way that someone can come out of college and go straight into international rugby. No, no, no. You're, no, so you're right. Like, you're right. You're right. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. It's acronym soup. <sighs> yes. And, and there, that's, that's the other thing, which is that not only that, we, we take college rugby and say it's not good enough, and then we split it up two or three ways. 
and then say, hey, that, that's okay. These guys will play these guys, and those guys will play those guys. We don't have the very best playing the very best all the time. And that's, that's college rugby silliness, which does happen. They're, com- they're competing for different championships. They're competing for different championships in sevens and fifteens. Yeah. It's, it's a farce, and that's another problem. You know, leaders lead. We're not being led right now. Correct. And, and then they're fooling themselves into thinking that they've, uh, you know, jumped over the moon, and they haven't. They haven't even uh, seen it. A great comment. Hey, let's jump back to Fitzy. One of our panelists has a question for another panelist. Yeah, Alex, you know, speaking about USA Rugby, right, it, and following the, the college rugby scene a little bit, it seems like USA Rugby, their, their, their grasp on the college rugby scene is, is, is starting to slip a little bit, right? You've got an organization like National Collegiate Rugby, NCR, that started to come in. They're starting to really pick up a number of different programs left and right. And you can read stuff on Twitter. A lot of coaches expressing a lot of frustration with USA Rugby. Do you envision a world where USA Rugby says, you know what, we're going to relinquish college rugby, we're going to let NCR take it over, and would that help unify the college rugby game and, and ultimately create a better pathway to develop these college rugby players to eventually, hopefully, MLR and play for the Eagles? Hmm. Uh, no, I don't envision that world. And um, one of the reasons That's is... That's crazy. The, well, okay, but but no, I, I no, I get that. Not to you, I, just the fact that that won't happen. I, I I think I think if there's unification, it goes the other direction, uh, at the highest level. And the reason I say that is because USA Rugby, you're absolutely right, has relinquished a lot of you know all control over college rugby. Basically, they said, hey, not our problem. We'll worry about high performance. That's working out great. And um, so there are different organizations, not just NCR, right? CRAA oversees another big chunk of collegiate rugby. And they've got to come together. And I don't see CRAA relinquishing anything to NCR. Those those two seem to have been at loggerheads. So the question is sort of like, what what aspect of the game do you do you come together and, and deal with uh, and control? Um, NCR has done a great job with the volume of players that are in hundreds of programs around the country. Um, they want to be a high-performance organization as well. I'm not sure they're there yet. And uh, so that, that's a question. And then how does taking that and then finding the very, very best players and thinking about projecting to the Eagles. How does that happen? Um, NCR hasn't done anything with regard to that. Neither really has CRAA at the point at the moment. Just weigh in here briefly. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, yeah. Matt, you speak. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. So Alex, good comments. I would say that we're getting closer in this, this divide in the college landscape is narrowing. And I think that, we may actually be able to get something done. Maybe it's on the sevens front where we have a meeting of the minds, but baby steps are big steps on this level. And we've already reduced some of the acronyms, right? We've eliminated some of those acronyms. And I've said to the leaders of both of the entities, the big entities, the CRAA and the NCR, I said, give me a room with each of you and a keg and three hours and we'll come out bloodied, but we'll have a deal. No, that's that's a plan, Matt. I, absolutely, and no, you're you're right. There are little signs that that they're inching closer together, um, 
and uh, and that's good. And I and I always think that they've got to come together uh, to work together. So, and gang, in a country that doesn't have uh, a feeder program for MLR, and MLR is really still in its infancy. The college game is what we could have been capitalizing on as a farm system like it does for the NBA or the NFL. This is what we have missed so in such a, a catastrophic fashion for so long, inexcusably, other than, well, pardon the expression, egos yeah. swing, uh, swinging. Yeah, I mean, that's, look, that's how I, I create that I, phrase. I, 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 I agree with what Will said about the, the level of play. Um, but but we used to have a territorial all-star championship in college. Nigel Velvet, Melville killed that. Um, and we have had a collegiate All-American team that tours or plays. And this is where this is a, a, a co-North American problem because Canadian universities and the United States All-Americans should have been playing each other in a home and away series for years. They did it in 2019. It was a fantastic game. We haven't seen it since. I don't know if we'll see it again, but it, uh, if we had like a two or three game series between the United States and Canada, best collegiate players, we would at least be building on something that said, hey, this is what international rugby is all about. This is our expectations. This is how you can get to the next step. All right. All right. Let me jump in here. We're going to jump over to a, another listener. Someone that's actually in, um, involved in youth rugby as well, coaching. We have Coach Brad. Thanks for coming up here again, Coach. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and, and both Matt and Alex were leading down where my question was because at, at the youth level, um, even where I'm at, there, there's really only a couple of big high school programs. And I'm sure, you know, the biggest issue we have is most kids – aren't picking up a rugby ball in America till 18, 19, 20 years old because they're former athletes at high school and then they go to their college and all of a sudden they're like, hey, I need something to do. And somebody goes, hey, pick up a rugby ball. So, you know, but to go back to what Alex was saying as well, um, you know, why can't we get our college game unified like the NCAA is with, either basketball or football or baseball. Why can't we build our, our organization USA rugby-wise from the bottom down, from youth to high school to, to college to, you know, semi-professional, whether or not that's like a MLR group uh, or an under-20 MLR team, and then you can move to the MLR team. But, you know, I don't understand why USA rugby can't figure out a way to create what so many other group sports in America have, which is a developmental program that's consistent. Let's get, let's, if Matt's still there, I know he might, he's, he's loving to come in and say some stuff. Matt, do you have an answer to that? Maybe he does not. <laughs> he's, he's talked out at the moment. Um, no, no, he's here. He's here. There Sorry. he is. He's back, he's... baby. Yeah, but but I just I was already talking. I forgot to hit the button. I'm I'm just so worked up. Give, give me the specific specific question. Why can't USA Rugby or us as a collective create a grassroots operation that mimics football, baseball, and basketball, or even now soccer, 
in the U.S., why can't USA Rugby mimic that in order to create the same powerhouses that we have in these other sports that are mainstream in America? Well, I think so far we've been trying to compete with uh, or been daunted by the task of competing with these other sports in the United States. And we get so caught up in, in saying we can't do something rather than just doing it. That That's that's my initial thought on it. But what we need to be doing is, is marketing this thing. And now we have this, this thing, meaning youth rugby, and we have so many viable, easy platforms to market on. We have Twitter that we're on right now. We have Facebook. We have TikTok. We have my, we have, I was going to say MySpace, Jesus. We have Instagram and what we ought to be doing is just firing these off to different coaches of different teams and everything else and, and youth programs and just saying, Hey, here's flag rugby. Keep your kids engaged in a sport that might be similar or have similar characteristics to say football or soccer or even wrestling. And it's just touch rugby. And it starts at a youth level. We're not doing any of that. There is nobody leading the charge here. And I get it. We're not this organization that's got a ton of money and we don't have a ton of uh, resources. But with social media, these are ways to leapfrog or get over those. And, and Rugby Wrap-Up's a perfect example of it. We're doing it with smoke and mirrors, but it's because of social media. It can be done. Appreciate appreciate that, Matt. And um, yeah, I, could, I could say, and actually put a good word out there, you must go and watch Rugby Wrap-Up. Absolutely. Um, Look, I, I appreciate there's also two requests that we're waiting in on and I we will get to you. But I do want to move the conversation, continue to try and move it along away from the college side of things because we can talk about that again and again and again for the next sort of 10, 15 minutes. But I do want to bring in uh, Joe Harvey uh, and James Dealey uh, because I want to talk about, on a professional level, the MLR. I feel like we've been sort of beating around the bush of it, uh, with it, I should say, and Joe, if you're still with us and still awake, which hopefully you are, I'll come to you first. The MLR, I'm, I'm involved in it. I'm playing in it. You obviously correspond on it and, and write brilliantly and talk fantastic about it as well. In your honest opinion, I asked this to Dallas Stanford last week. It is just a question. It is not me making a comment. I'm just asking, do you believe the MLR, as it stands, is making good strides with USA Rugby? Are they aligned? Are they working to get the best? rugby in america well that's an excellent question um is this one of those where i'm gonna to to put on my pr head this is a big question no i mean it's one of those because i mean i've literally had Marion and desma tell me they're not and when when an assistant coach of the u.s national team who also is going to be coming in as a assistant coach for the dallas jackals it, it says a bit um and obviously there is some sort of a disconnect there um so my opinion is no, that they are not as aligned as they could be. Um, the reason for that, I'm, <laughs> I imagine it's got something to do with the fact that it's just different officers, it's different people, and they're working towards different objectives. Um, but at the same time, the USA have been able to... So is it, is it a cry Is it a cry for you, Joe? Um, mm-hmm. Is it a cry for you to... MLR or USA, 
get together and work together. You do you believe in that you're saying no, then, then what, what does has to what does has to ha- have to happen, I should say. You know, does do, do we make sure that uh, coaching the, the head coach of USA is making sure that he's in constant contact with MLR head coaches, equally those head on the coaching front, I'm just speaking out as what I think, but then equally, you know, on an insurance front. On air. So I'm talking about the medical. I'm talking about how the calendars run. When we can maybe have a few days here in, in the year where we can meet up for for camps or whatever it might be. Uh, yeah. Well, what what's the substance to the well? What's the solution? What's the what's your thought on that? Well, it's interesting. So I've got I've got two examples that immediately come to mind. One is LNR's relationship with French with France rugby, and the other one is the RFU's relationship with Premiership. Um, I, I think. I think you know what I'm going to kind of get at here, Will, because obviously the RFU pay X million, literally millions and millions of pounds for pay, play release. So they can literally have access to the players for five-day camps, four-day camps throughout throughout the season and then get access to players outside of test windows. Like, exactly, like for example, what's going to happen this weekend when England play South Africa. So, And then obviously when LNR and France were falling out, <laughs> that's when the national team wasn't doing so well. Um, the difference being that France always had the ability to have worldy players, you know, because it was it's such a production line. Um, so, with that in mind, there does need to be conversation had. Someone needs to, you know, get everyone in a room or some people in a room and work out what's the best solution in order for everyone to benefit. Because you know, one of the party lines that I've heard for a long time is that, well, I think we've all heard it, but the MLR is the is the catalyst in order to help the US national team grow. But we've just seen, you know, the not, you know, the the country, well, two countries actually, not qualify for rugby world cup. The whole, you know, continent of North America is not being represented represented next year in France. James Dealey, I want to get you in now because uh, you've been patiently waiting. But I know you keep a very stern track on things in the MLR. MLR stats being your your baby and and knowing all about what goes on. Um. I'm a believer that you need the foreign talent in this league to grow the league, to grow rugby in America, whether that's young US players wanting to aspire to be the likes of of a Chris Robshaw or Mar Nonu. I mentioned those two because of the San Diego Legion, and they will naturally push the standard. Those two legends of the game will create many good things for the league. But at the same time, there needs to be a balance to make sure that foreigners as such are not stopping the progress of young American talent. What's your kind of take maybe on that? Yeah, hi, Will. Hi, guys. Um, yeah, no, I've got to say that um, I think you're absolutely right in that there is there is value in having, um, having you know, these big names, these world-class talents come in and then and add their experience and add their, their skills to, to an MLR roster. Um, what, I, what I will say is they, they, they shouldn't be the, the they shouldn't be the bulk of a roster. You know, you're bringing these guys, like the two you mentioned, Chris Robshaw, ex-England captain, Mar Nonu, 100-plus caps with the All Blacks. They're going to raise some eyebrows, and they're going to get people who might not know about rugby to say, wow, this guy's a big deal in this, you know, what is still a fringe sport. Maybe I'll check it out. But they should really be supplementing local talent or US talent or, well, ideally local talent to the, the MLR's market you know again it's san diego it'll be southern california or if it's um uh, the free tax it will be boston and massachusetts new england um but they shouldn't they shouldn't be taking over they really should be supplementing local talent um 
in order to, like you said, Will, in order to raise the skill level. You know, if you're, I, even if, if I was playing next to Marnonu, I'd look like a hell of a lot better player than I typically am. Um, just because of, of what he can do and his experience and what he can, you know, impart his wisdom on me. Um, I think that is necessary to help kind of raise the game uh, of, you know, the, the homegrown talents or the US or the Canadian talents in MLR rosters. Uh, you know, Brian Ray, I think we want to hear your opinion on this also, your your take on this as well. Yeah, uh, this seems to be a big deal. I, I really, for the record, dislike MLR being a scapegoat for Canada and USA qualifying. I, I will reiterate my opinion that both teams had sufficient talent uh, available to them to win those games, and they didn't. Uh, on the MLR topic of whether the you know import players are, are taking away opportunities, you know, I, I agree with Will. You need players of that standard to come in and raise the standards. I think there has to be, uh, you know, kind of um, a, a, an end goal, though. Like, if they are improving American players, uh, at some point those American players who are learning have to get on the field themselves and, and use those skills that they've learned. I think MLR has to figure out how to get fringe guys. Dom, I'm going to use San Diego since, Will, you're here. Dom Yacovino last year hardly played at all, uh, really needs to see some time. But if there's like a midweek competition, uh, uh, like a premiership rugby cup or some kind of just below MLR academy game, something like that. Something that was actually organized during the season. Um, you know, personally, I'd like to see um, a, a conference set up where you play all the academy teams in one conference, play each other. And then at the end, they play a final against, uh, you know, Eastern versus West, whatever, just to get those guys on the field. I'd like to see that as far as the, the, the import limit itself, I would like to see, um, number one, I'd like to see them get rid of the ability to trade the import cards. Right now it's 10. You start with 10 cards, import cards, you can trade them. So you might end up with a team with 12 or 13. I don't like that. I'd personally like to see that stuck at 10. And I'd like to see them sit down in a room and make an agreement to kind of lower that limit eventually. So we're at 10 now. Uh, say we're gradually reduce it to eight or seven by one a year for the next three, four years, something like that, I think would 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 be a nice compromise for all parties uh, in, in that regard. So for me, it's it's about finding a way to get those guys. Uh, Jonah Dietenberger, another example at, at San Diego, I thought did not get enough playing time last year. I understand these guys, you know, probably aren't ready to go out there and play, you know, a full eighty minute game. But I didn't I, I didn't think they they saw the field enough. So we got to get those guys more game time at that level or just below, and we got a uh, and a gradual reduction of of the number of imports. But I don't think you have to go crazy and, and cut it right down to five right away. I think eight is probably a, a good happy number in there. Hey, right. can, can I can I chime in here real fast? Um, go ahead, Matt. Okay, just on the alignment of owners with the US with USA rugby, the MLR owners with USA rugby, one thing that I, I just found out allegedly is that the owners actually funded USA rugby's trip to South Africa to play the club teams. So that's pretty significant. And after uh, much annoying badgering by yours truly, they have decided that getting owners on the board of directors for team for USA rugby is a good idea. So that's going to happen. And also here's a quick question for everybody out there. How many board members can you name for USA rugby? It's more of a hypothetical question. You don't have to go into it right now, but that, that's problematic, yeah. right? That's it, Matt. Yeah. I think Matt. Sorry, guys, just real oh, quick, okay. uh, Matt. Uh, you you touched on first of all, Brian. I agree on 
almost everything you said there. But Matt, you touched on something that I thought was really interesting about the Major League Rugby. That's a positive, even when I think the playing level isn't quite the step below international and we need something else. Major League Rugby discovered a whole bunch of people who want to sink a whole bunch of money into rugby. Yeah. Something USA Rugby never really did. And here these people are. So, yes, let's leverage that. There are probably more out there. You've got to just give them a compelling reason. And that is where USA Rugby failed. Major League Rugby has been succeeding. People are spending a lot of money. So, great. Those people are out there. And here's just a quick question that you don't have to answer, but where would we be if you took five full seasons of Major League Rugby out of the picture? Would we be better off? No. No, I don't think we would be better off. All right, hey, guys, listen, uh, uh, we, we're making this a long show today because there's just so much amazing uh, stuff to talk about and important stuff to talk about also, and how often do we get this panel together at once? It's just fun listening to these guys talk. And I think it's a good time to come to another fan, another listener, uh, John Trevor's coming up. Hey, John. Hey, how's it going? Um, really enjoyed, uh, you know, all the insight here, um, especially just into the the deeper workings of the board and whatnot. Um, but I guess to pull it back a little bit, I, um, you know, as someone who was fortunate enough to play for one of the, you know, top, uh, high, at least according to Alex Goff's rankings, <laughs> a top 20 high school, you know, hearing Will talk about how, you know, learning rugby skills and whatnot at 23, 24 is just too late. You know, I, I would definitely agree based on, you know, my limited experience. And I, I really do think in the U S we have potential for like a really vibrant uh, like high school or schoolboy, as they would call it in, you know, the rugby playing countries like schoolboy rugby scene. Um, you know, and, and I, and I think, and I don't know if people would agree or disagree, but I do think one of the other issues though, is I think we need more high school, rugby and public high schools because i look at like my high school team and all of our rivals it was all private schools like all boys private schools like my rivals were st joe's prep gonzaga like schools like that and um i think we need to get rugby into public high schools and have like build get to the point where we have like a vibrant high school rugby scene where it's not just you know a few high schools here and there i don't know what people think about that just something i thought i'd mention who wants to chime in alex can jump in there yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, there are there are a very small number of public high schools that have it. Uh, I think that um, uh, you know, hey, are we piling on the people at USA Rugby? Yeah, I am. Uh, this was something that's been talked about for a long time, and really, what happened was that World Rugby would write a big check to USA Rugby for youth development and growing the game and youth and high schools tasks and what they did with it was they hired people who ended up spending a bunch of their time doing other things and they didn't they always said we were going to go around and and uh, present to school districts and and try to build the game there or we're going to go around and we're going to try to build youth programs and teach people how to build youth programs none of that happened and all of the stuff has been done by hard-working people at the coalface and if they're they're building a club well, good for them. And if they're building a, uh, a school team, it's much easier at a private school. Absolutely. It's still hard work uh, because we don't have a, uh, a set plan, a cohesive plan to do that. And mixed in there, and this is a problem that permeates through college as well, um, is, the need, is, is the desire to win. And while I'm ranking teams and 
saying who's number one and all that stuff, part of me is saying, why do you care? Because really, you should just be playing and enjoying playing. I helped found a high school club in Olympia, Washington, that in my opinion, should be now at least three teams, probably six teams. There are six major high schools in the region. There should be six high school teams in there, even if they're not sanctioned. But we never did it. We, we only kept the one club. And why? Because we liked winning with that one club. And we were scared to split it up. And I think that happens a lot. All right. I think, well, I think we have time for one more question. Uh, the Earth guys, back up. Hey, guys. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? Uh, thank you again for having me back on. Um, it, it's weird because this is an amazing conversation. But there's a big word that we, nobody's mentioned tonight. That word is women. Uh, mm-hmm. our, our women's program has been rated higher than our men's program basically from the get-go, despite them being completely shunted aside. Um, they didn't have any problem qualifying for the World Cup that just finished, um, the, uh, a World Cup that saw record audiences, record participation, you know, record enthusiasm around the world, and featured a final that had to go into my top three games ever. Um, women's soccer changed soccer in the United States. Are we missing an obvious trick by not doubling down on our women's program? Well, I'm, I'm just not talking about women's rugby right now because the, the, the drop goal and then the penalty kick against Portugal is still fresh <laughs> in my mind. Yeah. But, you know, Mike Friday is the first one to say that the women's rugby team, specifically the sevens team, should be the storefront for USA Rugby. And he said we can make so many more leaps and bounds in the 15s program because there's not this history in those two codes of rugby for the women. So, yeah. Yeah, but uh, Matt, I mean, I, I would say the re- one of the reasons why I think we should clean house at USA Rugby is that the women's team right now is underperforming and underperformed in, in the 15th World Cup and underperformed in the 7th World Cup. They were very lucky in the 7th World Cup to be top four, extremely lucky. And it, the women's program is getting actually the same poor attention that the men's program is and is a bigger red flag. Yes, we should double down on it. And yes, we should still be working on their age grades, but I think we're uh, resting on our laurels on that very much. I agree with you, Alex, but I think we're going to give the women's program short shrift right now because we're at the end of this show, I think, and we ought to just pick it up again and talk women's rugby. Right. Yeah, we should have had you guys on during the World Cup on the uh, the other shows there, but we'll try another time. Uh, so, so, well, I lied. I think we're going to go to one more fan. We've got our rugby pick them guys up here. I appreciate it, TRN. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Um, I just wanted to elaborate on what Alex said with the high school level. We keep using this term grassroots. I'm not really sure what that means anymore. I've coached everywhere from middle school to high school to college, to small college, to the men's club and back down. And you do need more people out in the streets, on the pitches, with dirt between their hands, with whistles in their mouths, doing the hard work. But there has to be organization, like like referred to in the colleges. Don't you know? Don't get me started on how tough that is to navigate for regular coaches who just like to coach. But at the same time, we can go back to that international rule that Brian brought up. Is the number too high? Should they be trading it around like crazy? Here's an idea: if you get guys in, why don't you hold them to some metrics that say? Okay, you're going to make you know, 50 grand or whatever, which is way more than the American will get, but that's a whole nother discussion. But can we ask them to go and now 
commit to three times a week being at a high school, doing the grassroots from the bottom up. Can MLR owners leverage that? Um, it seems like they've leveraged everything they can of the player group with the dispersal draft and everything that Matt talked about, Mick Chavetta, in that conversation. <clears throat> and while I'm at it, I would love if Mr. Hooley and TRN could do another space where we can just talk about that, the player situation. It's, it's, it's alarming to me that we're entering a fifth year. We should be hitting synergies. We should be kind of cruising on the upward. And we have this crazy moment where we're telling players where to go and it seems to be a bit disorganized. Um, but back to that question, can we really accelerate our grassroots by asking internationals, whoever it is coming here to cash a paycheck, can we ask them to really, really participate and can we hold them to account? Appreciate you guys looking forward to the, the next potential spaces, hopefully talking about the MLR owner and player debate. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right, who wants to jump in on that one? I was thinking about answering it, but I don't know if I'd have the right uh, answer for you guys. Joe? Well, Will's, Will's the guy that plays in MLR, and he happens to have a funny accent. Which, which means maybe you shouldn't answer it. <laughs> no, no, I, I think, that, like I say, it's not for me to, to talk about it on this show, um, unfortunately. Um, I, I do want to make it about about the Eagles as it is. I know what you're yeah. saying is, is, is a, is the bigger picture. I understand that. Um, and unfortunately not, not, not for me today, but Matt, if you, if you want to touch on anything, then feel free just to hit well, the stage I, on this one. I'm not one of those guys that thinks that uh, foreign players shouldn't be playing in this league. It's a professional league. It's not, it's It's capitalism in the United States and capitalism was always going to be an uncomfortable fit for global rugby. You know, the NZRU runs, runs the, the, the five teams in super rugby for New Zealand and dictates where those players play and their contracts. You can't do that in America. That's never going to happen. You can't have USA rugby telling MLR who's on their roster and negotiating contracts that doesn't fly. Right. So that model's out the window. But I, and I'm not one of these people that says, again, that you have to have 15 or 10, 12 starters that are American born on your starting day roster. That doesn't do anybody any good for the fan. The fan wants to see the best rugby product. The owners need to make money. And if you only had two American players starting on 12 MLR teams and they're playing against very good competition and they're playing with very good competition on a daily basis, you've got, let's do some math, two on each, each team starting, 26, uh, 12 teams. That's 26 players that are now in the Eagles player pool that are playing significantly better. And that's only two. And they have a, you know, they have numbers where they're all getting to the point where they want to have less foreign starters and slots and yada, yada, yada. And I would, but I would make the argument against myself that a 40 year old Ma'ananu coming into San Diego in a league where the salary cap is just north of $500,000 might not be the best fit for a team like San Diego. And that's just talking out both sides of my mouth on that. <laughs> Oh, well said, Matt. I appreciate it. And one more comment on that. Uh, the Rugby Pick'em guys, um, actually, great ideas about the spaces, about talking more about this at some point. There is another space show called uh, USA Rugby Happy Hour Live. It's usually on Wednesday nights, but we're taking a, a few weeks off. That's Eagles versus season rugby morning. Uh, shameless pitch right there. 
Uh, but we do talk about that stuff as well and a lot of Major League Rugby stuff. So look out for those shows. And they're a great time. Uh, back to you, Will. Yeah. Wow, Bill, I can't believe it. But we have gone for an hour and a half. And it has been a brilliant hour and a half. I honestly have just sat back, listened in um, to the experts. There it is, the round of applause. Um, I, honestly, I, I mean it from the bottom of my heart on this one. It, it's, I can't thank you guys enough. Everyone who's tuned in, I can't believe the audience we've had tonight. It's been, it's been um, incredible. And hopefully everyone will listen in on, on the recording and on the podcast, which will be out soon after this and also tomorrow. But a, really a quick, massive thank you to Matt McCarthy. Um, outstanding as always. Brian Ray, Alex Goff, Joe Harvey and James Dealey as well. I, I, I honestly really, really thank you guys for coming on because all of this was not for me to talk about. I, I, I tweeted how I wasn't really qualified for it. I mean that. You know, I have my own emotions. Everyone has their own emotions in America and who really cares about USA rugby. What I really get from this, Bill, is that mm-hmm. you need people to care. Clearly, you know, what, what, what Matt McCarthy said about the owners spending money to make sure the guys went to South Africa before the tournament, that is brilliant. People care. There, there, are, there are guys out there, some with money, some without a lot of money, who genuinely want the best for this USA team but they want the best for USA, I say rugby, to grow in America and grow in Canada as well, in North America. So we're not in this, I guess, tragedy that we're in now. And we are talking about like a tragedy. I felt like I should be having my black suit on and going to the funeral. You know, it feels that way. But at the same time, you know, I do believe in the, hori- in the horizon there, there is light. And unfortunately, we're never going to see it as much now. And trust me, as a player, I don't really see the light as it stands at the moment, the Tuesday after the Friday when they get the game just happened. I can tell you as well, those boys will be hurting so much. The coaching staff will be hurting so much. It's a big, big picture of which, you know, it hurts. But I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who came on tonight. Uh, it really means a lot. I really hope you've enjoyed it. And Bill, thank you, because you've been awesome as well, my man, being my co-host throughout this time over the last few weeks. I didn't think we would be in the position that we're in today talking about what we're talking about which is a loss we're not going to a world cup but i couldn't have done it without you um i couldn't have done it without the rugby network as well thank you to them for giving us this platform um and yeah just to all eagles fans out there dark days are here at the moment there'll be better ones in the future i hope that as a player i hope that as a player who might be coming to the end of my time as playing sooner rather than later i don't know but i just want to thank everyone for tuning in sticking at it and usa rugby will will get there I'm sure of it. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much, Well, Thanks, everybody else. Uh, please, if you listeners, fans out there, check out everyone here. Uh, give everyone a follow at Rugby Wrap Up. Uh, Brian Ray, everybody out here, give us a follow here on Twitter. We all provide a lot of awesome information. Eagles Overseas, Rugby Morning, the Rugby Network, obviously, and Will Hooley. Thanks, everybody. It's been a blast, Will. And uh, we'll be looking out for the Eagles' next information, next news, and everything else to see what happens. Have a great week, everybody. Have a great weekend, and we'll chat again soon. Thank you. Thank you.